Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the program, as you've been hearing, the Cork County GAA board delegates will be asked to ratify a new naming agreement for Porky Cueve, and that will happen at tonight's first meeting of the year. Now, according to reports, the proposed title sponsor will be Supervalue, and the stadium is to be rebranded as Supervalue Park. Trevor Welsh from our sports department uh, joining me this morning. Good morning to Trevor. Morning, Trish. And uh, now, has Porky Cueve ever been called anything other than Porky Cueve? No, not to my knowledge anyway. I know, you know, the, the powers that be were, were slow to get a, a sponsor in, but uh, crippling debts like has suggested that, uh, you know, county boards have to move that way. I think there's, what, 17, 16, 17 county boards have rebranded their stadiums, um, you know, due to crippling de- debts for the new Porky Cueve, but uh, it, it, it's always been uh, Porky Cueve and... Uh, you know, I know, I know there were rumours uh, up to, you know, a good number of years ago that a big heavyweight might come in, Trish, like, like Sports Direct, who already sponsored the, the jerseys, the gear, Cork uh, uh, gear. So, you know, there was talk that they might come in. And then I heard other rumours about Adidas were interested, you know, and I, I thought it would make sense for a big heavyweight. But um, that might be further down the road. But, um, you know, they, they needed something to change and come in because of uh, the debts they have. Yeah, and I know the sponsorship package, depending on who you're reading this morning, is worth anything from 1 million to 1.5 million euro initially uh, over uh, five years. And as you say, because of that huge debt that's hanging over the head of uh, Porky Cueve, you can understand the move. But how do you think it's going to go down with fans? Yeah, I'm not sure really. I know there was was a poll done uh, already, but... um, I think uh, it was uh, the majority of the, the people who were voting were against it. But, um, you know, I think just like um, Musgrave Park recently, as you heard, you know, Virgin Media come in there to rebrand to was Independent Park. And, you know, people will tell their sports fans that it will always be Musgrave Park and they will always be Park at Queen. Uh But, you know, I think the Aviva might have walked with the old Lansdowne Road. That was very much, I suppose, the Aviva Stadium. But the a big heavyweight came in there for, for sponsor what, back in 2010, I think it was. But um, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I, I think most of the GF fans, from what I'm reading, are against it. Yeah, and you they are going to use the word pork, as in P 
PA for the IRC. It is going to be Super Value Park. You know, they're going to use the Irish rather than the English. I mean, that could ease some of the concerns. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, I think that J fans are knowledgeable. They'll know as well like that, you know, um, the J are bringing like they brought in the rugby matches, for example. Remember the Munster Munster play there? It could be a way forward as well. We might see more uh, rugby match. There was a soccer match there, the Liam Miller game, as you know. Um, and, you know, you just wonder if any, any big games come up like that, you know, they might go down that road again. Because uh, at the end of the day, I suppose, Parker Creeve, uh, Parky Creeve uh, doesn't hold too many matches um, during during a full year, you know, uh, in terms of the inter-county matches. Um, but, um, you know, just interesting. I was uh, kind of taken back myself when, when I heard it first, because I knew I knew for a few years talking to people who were in the know that um, there, was, there was a few big heavy weights around the corner waiting to, to get the rebranding of Parky Creeve. Yeah, so it, it has been on the cards uh, mm. for, for quite some time. Uh, listen, this is an email in from John, uh, one of our listeners, emailing Cork today at c103.ie saying, Hi Patricia, a lot of people are not happy with the renaming of Pork Creef. Uh, was it the Cork, was it the Cork County Board who decided to change the name to Super Value Park instead of Super Value Pork Creef? Most other GAA stadiums kept the original name when they did take on a title sponsor. For example, in uh, Limerick, it's the Tus Gaelic grounds. In Thurless, it's the FBD Semple Stadium. Kilkenny yeah. have UPMC Nolan Park. Leash have Hyro O'Mahony Park. Cavan have Kingspan Breffany Park. And Carlo have Network Cullen Park. So that that would have worked if they'd gone with, if they if they went with Super Value Porky Creeve. Yeah, I think so. I think that would have eased it. All right, Trish. Um, you know, keep the Porky Creeve in there. Um, you know, it's been Parky Grief since I was a kid, I think, back in back in the great old days of the Gaelic Grounds, wasn't it? But uh, Parky Grief since, you know, uh, since I was a kid anyway. And um, I think that might have eased it all right, Super Value Parky Grief, you know. Do you expect that the GAA board delegates will ratify the name change tonight without much I, argument or will there be, will it be contentious? I say it could be a bit contentious, but I think it will be ratified. All right, you know, I, I knew... You know, the, the way it was going, obviously, as we spoke earlier, Trish, about the, the crippling debts, um, they had to move them one way. I mean, you know, they got a revenue, obviously, from concerts. I'm surprised there wasn't a few more concerts in the last couple of years. Um, I know Bruce Springsteen's coming, um, but, uh, you know, with, with, with the debts, they had to move that way. I just feel down the road, there will be a big heavyweight come in in, uh, in the next few years. I just see that happening. Okay, and of course, tonight's meeting is behind closed doors for the first time after Cork indicated to the media last week that its presence was no longer appropriate and that their absence would allow for more open and transparent debate. So we're not going to hear, the media are not going to be in attendance. No, I've seen that, all right. Uh, It's going on for the last few days. So it's going to be be very interesting and uh, see... um, you know, the reaction to it as well. Um, but I think it will be ratified. Mm. And I, when I heard that it was Super Value, I was thinking, you know, the Musgrave Group own Super Value. I wondered, <laughs> did anybody suggest Musgrave Park? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have really uh, confused people. It, it would indeed. Where are we, it, go, where are we going? <laughs> it would indeed. Listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, Trevor. 
Thanks for And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, have a good day. Uh, hi, Patricia. Why not call it Super Value Porky Cueve? Uh, most people would settle for that. Someone else says, please highlight the absolute zero mentioning of the whole renaming of Porky Cueve debacle in any of the Cork GAA Twitter or Facebook pages. Not a mention. Heads in the sand as usual. They are avoiding the elephant in the uh, room. And too many fat cats in the GAA, says somebody else. While Tom says, while there are people not happy with this decision, there is a debt in the stadium and that is one of the ways around reducing that debt. Why exactly are people not happy? They need money and this is done all over the world. It is nothing new. Pat in from Oi says a lot of arguments. Could they not just call it uh, Super Value Porky Cueve and keep it, or SV Porky Cueve and keep it uh, simple? And Timmy said, if Super value investing money, they will want a return for their investment. So that is why they want to call it Super Value uh, Park. Uh, 0818103103. And John, who sent that email in, who is one of those as well, is saying, would they not consider Super Value Porky Cueve and, you know, showing that other GA stadiums around the country have done that. He also sends on a copy of a Twitter post reaction from the grandson of the man for whom Porky Cueve is named after. This is a gentleman by the name of Owen O'Finn who said Porrick O'Cueve wrote fought the War of Independence and led the GAA for decades, fighting for a pitch in every parish, doubling clubs and bringing the All-Ireland Final to New York. He oversaw Croke Park, hosting the Talton Games and the Eucharistic Con- uh, Congress. Is all of this now to be erased for super value? So that is the grandson of Porrick O'Creef, who Porky Creef is named after. Judging by the calls and texts we are getting in this morning, the GAA uh, look like they are a bit outnumbered uh, with this renaming of Porky Creef to Super Value Pork instead. Jura says that man, and this is the guy who uh, who, who is actually named after Porrick O'Creef, uh, fought for Irish freedom. Does this not show the GAA are willing to sell anything? The majority of Cork GAA people don't agree with this name change. How much money will the GAA? AA want. We cannot watch our hurling games this summer as so many are gone behind a pay uh, wall and behind the pay-per-view GAA go. I think they will lose a lot of support and a lot of people will not pay up for the annual draw. And that's coming in from Jer. Some of your WhatsApps in. Morning Patricia, Happy New Year, many happy returns. Just be thankful that they haven't got Bolton Wanderers sponsor over in the in England. I couldn't believe it when I saw this at Christmas. Try saying it in an American accent, uh, enjoying the music on your programme. And this is Bolton Wanderers. They have it. Their new club is sponsored by a company that is they are a building products company and the company is called Tough Sheet. And you have to be, I have to say this very carefully. It's the Tough Sheet Community Stadium. That's what Bolton Wanderers Football Club Stadium is now co- called. But the listener who is saying uh, what a lot of people are, are saying when they're talking about uh, Tough Sheet, I've nearly said it, try say it with a Mexican accent and the Tough Sheet 
sounds like something completely different. That's from Nicola in uh, Fidown. You made me laugh, Nicola, because I said it with an, a Mexican accent and my tough sheet was exactly as you had predicted with a, a Mexican accent. Hi, Patricia. You can call Porky Queef the Mickey Mouse Stadium. It'll make absolutely no difference as everybody will refer to. Where are you going? I'm going to the park for a game. Uh, take the money. That's from Jur in, in Drumahan very much in favour of what the GAA are doing. Anthony in Limerick says, I think Super Value Park, that it should be Super Value Porky Cueve, which a lot of people are saying. We have the Tus, is that Tus Gaelic Grounds in Limerick. It's good to keep the original name uh, with it. Uh, that's what they should be doing in Cork uh, as well. And that's what was pointed out by John in his email that in Thurless, like the FBD, Semple Stadium and, and, you know, in Cavan, they've got the Kingspan, Breffany Park. They kept that. And even in Carlo Cullen Park, when they got a sponsor there, it was the Netwatch Cullen Park. Maybe that's what will come out. We've got to wait for the delegates to ratify tonight and maybe it will come out as the Super Value Pork Equive only time will tell. Just by the way, we, you know, we're talking about people being careful when they're out and about. The roads are dry, uh, thankfully, even though it's bitterly cold uh, out there. Uh, Joan says, Patricia, just as a note of caution to any walkers that are out there this morning, uh, I walked in the town of Mallow yesterday uh, evening after six and the footpaths were dry until I was passing a car wash where the water had obviously run out onto the footpath that was in Ballydeheen. It was like a sheet of glass. I actually suffered a nasty fall and needed assistance to get back up. I was quite shaken after it, says Joan. So please be extra, extra careful on the footpaths and Joan, hopefully you're recovering after that uh, fall uh, yesterday. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Now recent figures show that more than 10,700 people were removed from outpatients hospital waiting lists in Cork last year. It's through a National Treatment Purchase Fund validation process. Dr John Sheen, a GP in Blackpool has concerns about the validation process and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you John. And you're welcome to the programme. Now when a person is removed from one of these uh, waiting lists are they and subsequently their GP informed? Yeah so what happens is the natural treatment purchase one looks at waiting lists and uh, twice a year they go through the waiting list and the reason for that is that for some people, they may have had treatment elsewhere. The condition may have changed or, or in some cases have resolved. And the idea behind that is that it, it, it makes the, the data better. But the difficulty, Patricia, is people get a letter to say that they still want to be on a, a list. And I'm sure a lot of your list, listeners have got these letters. And if you don't apply to that letter, then you're off the list. So sometimes what can happen, and increasingly this happens where People are moving, particularly young people, they're moving around, they're moving accommodation, or older people may not recite to the letter, or something else might be going on, or, or people may have language difficulties or literacy difficulties. They don't reply, and then they still think they're on the list, but they find out then that they've been removed from the list, and then you're back to square one in terms of referrals and things like that, which is very frustrating for patients. And of course... <laughs> If particularly if somebody's ignored the letter or didn't get the letter, as you say, somebody has changed uh, addresses, they are unaware that they've been taken off the list. But would their GP have been contacted? Yes, we usually get a letter. But, but sometimes what happens is, like, I will know some patients who I know definitely will want to stay on the list. So I had someone recently with mental health issues. She wasn't in a position, she had literacy difficulties. She wasn't in a position to reply to that letter. But I knew she wanted to stay on the list. So when I got a letter saying she'd been removed, we wrote to the hospital to say that she wanted to stay on. But frequently, 
we may not know we may not be in a position to to, to know that uh, it may be a patient who's moved it may be a patient who you know has, has different language issues so it's not a very good system um, and also practices obviously it's a very bureaucratic process so we're getting letters we have to check with the patient that they want to be on the list we have to write to the hospital all of that sort of thing takes an awful lot of time and really we need to have a better system Patricia to to cater really I suppose for you know this system was designed for people who you know like a lot of people are in one house and have one address for many many years but increasingly we don't have that situation people move around um, you know, they may have, have difficulty with English, they may have literacy problems, and we need a system, whether it's texting them, whether there's a portal where they could, you know, we, they or their GP can log on and, and we can confirm, yes, you're still on the list, you don't have to do anything, rather than this endless sort of back and forth of letters, you know, that are either going to an address that's an old address, um, our patients didn't receive it or didn't care anything about it. We need a better system than that, because to be fair to patients, you know, for most people, they're going to need these treatments. So, you know, if you have a cataract, it's not going away anywhere unless you get it removed somewhere else. You know, so for a lot of people on hospital waiting list, you know, it can be a, a cause of anxiety and stress. And we need a better system to make sure that patients can also check that they're on the waiting list, you know. And, and, and we really need to develop our IT systems better so there are portals so that, you know, if I was on a waiting list, I could log on. I could see, yes, the waiting time for this is another four months. I know I'm still on the list and that's the likely time period rather than this sort of vague sort of, am I on the list, am I not, how long am I going to be waiting, you know, it needs to be a lot better than that. Yeah, and technology has come on so much, John. You would have assumed that this is all at the end of a click of a button. You, you certainly would. Um, it would depress you to know, Patricia, I'm qualified in 32 years and the same paper charts that when I was a medical student are the same paper charts that are being used in most hospitals still. Um, you know, when you consider everything else that has changed, um, it really is, um, you know, it should be an awful lot better than that. You know, we should have electronic systems. Um, you know, we should have, be able to access either the patient. You know, you can password protect these where the patient could log on, put in a password, see, yes, they have the referral. You know, they're waiting this length of time. Like one of the big improvements I've seen in, in, in practice, Patricia, is well, we do about 90% of our referrals electronically now. So when I before used to have to, say, refer someone to hospital, say, for a hip or something, I send a letter in and I hope that they got it and that they're on a list. Now at least I can refer that patient electronically and I get an acknowledgement back to say, yes, they've got the referral, they're on the list, you know, the average waiting time is this. So at least I know that bit of information. So that has been an improvement. But we really need to go much step further where patients can at least log on and, you know, put in their password and see how long they're going to be waiting. Because if you know you're going to be waiting six months, at least you can manage that. But it's just open-ended. I, I don't know how long it's going to be. It could be a year. It could be two years. It could be three years. That's really hard for patients and it's really frustrating for patients. And as a doctor, do you spend a lot of time following up on people on waiting lists, you know, trying maybe to see, can, can you get them in quicker, for example? Oh, we, 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 we do. Every practice does. And, uh, and what happens is the patients would often ring the hospital and the secretaries who are really hardworking and, and to be fair to them, you know, they're doing the best they can. So, so, so they will frequently say to the patient, get on to your doctor to get a stronger letter, um, you know, to, to try to improve it. And then they get back onto their GP. The GP has to write a, another letter that really is pretty much the same letter as was probably originally written. You know, this, you know, this person might need a new hip, etc. And um, 
and then they, you know, then it gets reviewed, and that may help bump it up. It may not. Um, but it's a very bureaucratic. It takes an awful lot of time to, for the patient, for the hospital, and for the GP. And really, we need a better system than that. Okay. And do you know if many people fail to show up for appointments? Um, it very varies an awful lot by specialty. Um, one of the difficulties, for instance, if, if you get an appointment for a year and a half time, say for, for a skin rash, that rash may have gone or may have resolved by the time you get there. Um, so certain specialties have a higher um, non-attendance rate than others. Mental health, for instance, um, would frequently have 20 to 30 percent non-attendance rate for, for, for many reasons. Um, things like orthopedics would have an awful lot less. So I think rather than this one-size-fits-all sort of approach of every six months, perhaps they need to target area, you know, specialties and um, clinics that there's a, a known sort of um, um, lower, lower attendance. Because what they have done, and they have done this in other hospitals, Tala now, for instance, is this, is if you get an appointment for six months' time, you might put it in the calendar, but you're very often, there's a good chance you're going to forget it. So if you can you know, get a text the day before, as we do for many other things. Hairdressers do it, many yeah, other people do yeah. it. Um, that increases the attendance rate um, hugely and has made a difference. So some, a number of the hospitals now do that. And, and, and Tala did a lovely study where they looked at it and the rate of non-attendance went way down. Because like all of us, we all need we to forget. Yeah, now yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we yeah. forget. And what are waiting lists like at the moment uh, in Cork? Um, they're a challenge. You know, they're not as bad as other places in the, some other places in the country. But the the big ones really are orthopedics for knees and hips, um, eyes for cataracts, um, ear, nose, and throat for for grommets and tonsils and things like that, and dermatology. They're the they're, they're the four big ones really. Um, now there is improvement. I was yesterday at the opening of the Balancholic Primary Care Centre, and as part of that, Patricia, they have um, a night clinic there that is really just working at the moment on trying to clear the backlog on the waiting list. And the South Infirmary now is just about to open a second theatre for, for, for eyes. So that's going to make a significant difference in terms of the, uh, the waiting list for, for things. So, so there are some positives coming uh, you know, on the horizon. Um, you know, the number of dermatologies in, in the South Infirmary now, I think there's about seven. Um, you know, so that's been a big, big improvement. So you know, there, are, there are improvements. Um, but it is a challenge. It's a challenge of numbers. It's a challenge as we all get a little bit older. We get these things, and it's a challenge of how to manage that and that capacity. Okay, all right. And just when we have you on yesterday on the programme, we ended up discussing Southstock. It was to do with Southstock uh, in McCroom and the pressure that all Southstock services are under. Uh, and what came out very strongly was the lack of GPs available uh, to work. Can you see that situation getting worse if the government don't tackle our GP shortage crisis? Um, I can. Now, the only good news I would give you on that front is uh, I, I, I work on the GP training scheme, which teaches new, new, new doctors. And this year, we're hoping to increase our, our recruitment capacity by 30%. So that's a huge jump. We've been increasing it every year by about 10%. And this year, we're going up between 30 and 40%, which, you know, which is a, a big, big jump. And all this evidence shows that if people train in an area, they're much more inclined to stay in an area. So... You know, we need more GPs to respond to the growing population. So that increase should hopefully help things. But as well as that, we need to make areas like McCroom, like Gibberine, like Cantor, like all of those areas attractive for people to, 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 to work in. 
And that involves things like the rotas, because if there's only a short, small number of doctors in an area, they need to be part of something bigger. Um, you know, otherwise, you just won't be able to attract doctors to, you know, to the area. And the HSE also need to play their role. And I know they have in terms of things like primary care centres, because if you look at them, the, you know, it's just so much more attractive to attract people working in teams, you know, um, working with different specialties, all of that sort of stuff. So by doing that, that also makes areas much more attractive um, to go to. So uh, there is some positive things on the horizon, you know, and general practice is a very popular career. Um, I would do it again in the morning. So, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of very positive. So by increasing the, you know, that'll take a few years now to work through because it's a four-year training scheme, but we're increasing it by over 30% this year. So that's good news. That's good. That is good. Okay, listen, John, thank you for that. Have a lovely day. And thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. John Sheehan, who is a GP based in uh, Blackpool. On those people being taken off hospital waiting lists in the validation process. And it, it means that some are being taken off who don't want to be taken off the waiting list. The listener says, I've got a call. Uh, about uh, the waiting list to be told the Marsha Private was taking over. I'm still waiting. I got a scan done in 2019. Uh, our health system is a disgrace. I would be suggesting if you've been waiting, you've had a scan in 2019 and you're waiting for the follow-up since 2019, I would be suggesting you have somehow fallen between the uh, cracks. Uh, I will be getting back on to your GP uh, just to make sure that that referral is still in place. If you are a weekly player of the National Lottery, you will be aware that the lotto jackpot rolled over for the 25th time last Saturday and the jackpot has now climbed to more than 13 million euro. Kildare Fine Gael Deputy Bernard Durkin is once again on the case and plans to visit lotto HQ next Saturday to act as an independent witness when the draw takes place and Deputy Bernard Durkin uh, joins me. Good morning to you Bernard. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome. It was back in 2021. Uh, you actually forced a guaranteed payout wasn't it? That was after months of a jackpot uh, rollover. I remember speaking to you at the time. Just remind us of that. Yes. Well what happened was we had uh, a lot of communication from constituents and people from all over the country about the extent to which uh, the lottery was rolled over and how it seemed to roll over at particularly sensitive periods around holiday times and uh, um, bank holidays and so on and so forth. And people were concerned that it was a bit accidental, a bit fortuitous that it rolled over these particular times and the enhanced lottery rising from the rollover they benefited, obviously, from the increased amounts available arising from the rollover. So the the ombudsman, um, um, lottery ombudsman, uh, rolled in and uh, changed the system uh, to the extent that uh, it was necessary at the time, and the, the most of the debate uh, abated. However, it has, it has come up again, and I think just one correction at, at, at the outset there, um, I was invited to attend on Saturday, but of course I'm working all day Saturday at my clinics, and um, I can't attend. Uh, and I am going to have to. Uh, I mean, we went reverted back to them, and we asked for a number of days on which we could uh, attend. And, and why, why, why do you want to attend, Bernard? Well, they offered. I didn't ask to attend. They okay. offered uh, to, to invite me to attend, and I don't mind. I will do that. All right. But I, I need a number of dates and I need a, a bit uh, 
longer advance notice as well because it isn't possible, as you know, in, in, in the parliamentary system to be able to down tools and just uh, dash off out of the house uh, um, during dull sitting time. So the, the, the intention is to, to do that. Okay. Um, but the most important thing, I think, is to ensure that the good work done by the National Lottery over the years is not lost and that it doesn't become lost in, in the debate as to whether or not the lottery is rolled over excessively or is not. And in the debate as well in relation to the unclaimed um, prize money, okay. which uh, reverts back and to the lottery operators uh, and 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 otherwise into the national lottery. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to stay with just just stay with the jackpot though for a moment. I mean, the national lottery will say to you, it's a game of chance. I'm sorry, I missed that. It's, it, but the, it's a game of chance. It's just it's unfortunate that oh, people yes, are just yes, not yes, picking yes, the yes, right yes, numbers, yes, isn't yes, it? Yes, I mean, yes, you're, you're not insinuating that anything's going on. No, I am not. But it, 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 there is the question of coincidence. Is it a coincidence or is it something else? It could be that a, a, a machine uh, wasn't working uh, properly or was working too well in order to eliminate uh, the, the game of chance uh, uh, and to make it um, more difficult on certain times uh, to win the lottery. But isn't, but, there always in, but isn't there always independent observers? There are observers, but how much can independent observers do? You know, I have always uh, um, raised questions about lotteries in relation to parliamentary questions. <laughs> I'm well known for that at this stage of my life. But the point about this is that a lottery, any lottery, uh, can become confused or can uh, misfunction uh, or malfunction, and it can, it can cause a problem. No uh, offence at all to the operators of the lottery. But there are a number of things that need to be clarified, and that's that the game of chance is exactly what it is. In other words, okay. it doesn't suddenly decide to accumulate at a particularly uh, fortuitous time at bank holiday times when people are off work or have a holiday and they have a greater need or a greater amount of time to, um, to sit per to participate. And you want to raise the the rollover jackpot with the public expenditure minister Pascal Donoghue? Correct. Why, uh, what do you want uh, him to do? As I've done as I've done as I've done in the past. Okay. Uh, that's in in relation to the incidence of rollover, how it happens that the rollover takes place. Uh, if it is entirely uh, you know, we had this argument uh, more than a year ago where it was a, a game of chance and the game of chance was that it could or it could not, depending on the particular circumstances and whose name came out of the drum, who, whose name came up with the computer, whatever it was. Uh, the situation needs to be clear, and that is that it is a game of chance. It is a 50-50. I presume it's 50-50, or it isn't 50-50. And in which case, uh, a participant will know when participating and buying lottery tickets that they will know, well, look, I have a, a, have a chance of one in a 100, uh, one in 5,000 or one in 10 million. 
Okay, and just on, on just, and just on that unclaimed uh, prizes, actually, when I mentioned that we were going to be talking about the lotto today, one of our listeners was on saying about the unclaimed prizes. Surely, uh, Robert says they should go back to the worthy causes, are be put back in as prizes, uh, and not to advertise future future lottos or scratch cards. Just explain to people what happens with the unclaimed prizes, and you'll be surprised how much money is left unclaimed. There is quite a lot uh, left unclaimed and and goes as high as millions over a four or five year period. And uh, in those circumstances, um, there's a need to explain to the people who are are, uh, playing the lottery uh, to say, well, okay, I'm playing on the basis of that this money is going to go to good causes or it's going to go to good causes as well as the operation of the lottery where uh, an excess uh, of the good causes uh, who benefit goes back into the operation of the lottery because that's uh, a wide open case uh, that can be extended or, or, or rejected or can be uh, commented on by the, um, the, the um, lottery management or can be commented on by the lottery ombudsman. Yeah, I saw uh, it was from 2022, I think was the latest uh, figures that, that I could get. But it was, uh, I think they were before the Oireachtas Committee at the, at the time or the uh, the Auditor, um, Controller and Auditor, Auditor uh, General, I, I think, uh, had done an investigation into the lottery operators accounts. Anyway, uh, 98% of unclaimed prize money was spent on additional marketing compared with just 2% uh, went to additional prizes. I mean, that just seems loose. Ludicrous figure. Ninety-eight percent of unclaimed prizes. They can they can use it to advertise to get more money into the national lottery. That's right. That's that's right. It's 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 a, a fight uh, against itself uh, from within to promote the lottery by way of publicity, seeking ads and television and whatever the case may be. And a huge amount of money went on ads and television. I can't remember the exact amount off the top of my head at the moment, but. Very serious amounts of money. And I realize that the National Lottery has to depend on advertising for its success. That's, that's acknowledged. However, it's the degree to which uh, the debate takes place between the worthy causes uh, or the promotion of the National Lottery, because funding is provided separate, separately for the promotion of the National Lottery and for ad- advertising anyway. So why do they, why do they need additional money? Exactly. Play, play, I have some figures here. Uh, players failed to claim more than €124 million Euro between That's 2015 right. and 2021. So it works out at about £18 million a year, of which 98% goes back into uh, Premier Lotteries uh, Ireland, who, by the way, under the contract, it says... That unclaimed prize money for the, it must be used for the promotion of the lottery. So it's the contract really needs to be looked at. I think I think it can be used for the promotion of the lottery. I think uh, I don't think it says must, but uh, it can be But and some of it is obviously used uh, to be referred back as additional price. prizes. Yeah, two percent. It, so it seems it seems they can decide what percentage goes. I think yes, they can, they can but so can the, the lottery, uh, so can the ombudsman. Yeah, OK. All right, there's, there's a, a lot still to be sorted there. All right, Bernard, and have you got your ticket for Saturday night? 
<laughs> no. no. <laughs> okay. All right, listen, have a good day and we'll talk uh, again. Thanks a million. And uh, happy New Year. Uh, uh, happy New Year to you as well. Thank you for that. That is Kildare, Fine Gael, uh, Dáil Deputy Bernard uh, Dirk. And somebody says, Trisha, it sounds like Bernard's just a bit upset that his numbers haven't come up in the lotto uh, draw. He really has a bee in his bonnet that just don't seem to go away. Some of my text uh, listening to Deputy Bernard Dirk and saying that guy has got a great argument when it comes to the lotto. The lotto game at the end of the day is run by a computer system. Computers can be faulty or maybe even they can be made to be faulty. Look at what happened with the computer system and what the computer systems did in England to those poor postmasters and postmistresses. Computers don't always get it right. I will come back to a lot of commentary coming in about the GAA and Porky Cueve and uh, Porky Cueve to be renamed Super Value uh, Park. It's expected to be ratified at a meeting of the county board uh, this evening. We'll talk more about that in, in a moment and I will get your commentaries but can we talk about Ross Gray this morning for a moment it's one of those issues I don't want to be talking about but it's an issue I think we have to be talking about and I can already see some reaction coming in over the phones and by text and uh, WhatsApp and I'm assuming everybody knows now there was about 200 people turned out last night and it was a freezing cold night it was minus 5 uh, degrees but they turned out to protest and they were protesting uh, against the placement of up to 160 asylum seekers into this hotel in the Tipperary town of Ross Grey. The hotel is called Racket Hall Hotel. It is the only hotel in Ross Grey. Now, a major protest was staged last night outside Racket Hall uh, Hotel. Uh, some of the protesters there were accusing the Gardaí of being very heavy-handed in their tactics yesterday. It all kicked off yesterday morning when 17 asylum seekers were taken to the property and that sort of sparked a very tense uh, standoff. Now, the decision to bring in the 17 individuals, they were men, women and uh, children, into the property yesterday morning and it had sparked a five-day round-the-clock protest outside Racket Hall. Locals were claiming that the town of Ross Grey has already accepted its share of refugees, be it Ukrainian refugees. They also have international protection applicants and they were warning that the loss of the local hotel, as I say, the only hotel in Ross Grey, the loss to the tourism and the hospitality industry, they were saying it would be an, an economic disaster for the town. Now, Gardaí, who were assisted by the public order unit yesterday morning, insisted that they act and they were there and they acted to maintain safety and order. They say it was a measured response by officers, none of whom wore body armours. And if you saw any of the video footage, you would also see none of the public order office had helmets on, uh, for example. Now, there was one man arrested under the Public Order uh, Act, but uh, I know he was uh, released and a a file is going to the DPP. Uh, A large guard, the presence, was maintained then at the Racket Hall Hotel throughout the evening. And I'm assuming was maintained overnight uh, as well. There was also a local private security company employed as well. Protesters were insisting last night that they hadn't been informed that women and children were being brought into the hotel. And they say that if they had been told that, they would have stepped back immediately. Locals are claiming 
that the government letter indicated to them last week, which was the first they heard that the hotel was closing as a hotel and was going to be used for asylum seekers. They were told that the Ross Grey Hotel would be used for single males and that's what led to the initial protests. Now, some described that the children of the asylum seekers as they were being taken off the bus were very, very de- distressed, particularly amid the protest scenes. I saw some of the video footage and it was absolutely heartbreaking to see these little children and the fear on their faces because they had no idea of what was going on. Now the Gardaí were forced to move demonstrators out of the way. The Gardaí then had to form this human uh, chain in front of the entrance to the hotel and they formed this human uh, uh, chain to try to allow these 17 asylum seekers to gain entry to their new accommodation. Guard the sources say that of the large attendance last night, this was more than the 200 people who turned out last night, they reckon 50% of people weren't from the local area at all. Uh, by last night, the number of protesters, many accompanied by children, had swelled to over 200, but there are reports that many had travelled from Dublin and even from here in Cork. And that, I think, to me, was my biggest issue with what was going on yesterday, was watching protesters who were accompanied by their own children because we wonder and we speculate and we often talk about where where does hatred and intolerance come from I and mean, when people are not born with that inbred hatred and intolerance where you like to think that it's not. It is very much learned behaviour. So if Irish children witness their parents or other adults acting in a very angry way, in a very negative way towards people of colour, towards people of a different religion, towards people from a different ethnicity, does that child not then learn to grow up with that same level of hatred and that same level of anger? And the scenes that I certainly saw online from Ross Gray yesterday reminded me and brought me back to the Holy Cross School in Belfast. You remember the Holy Cross School in Belfast and for a period of time between I had to I had to actually do a Google search to find out when did it happen because I couldn't remember the dates on it. It was from June of 2021. It went on until January of 2002. There was a very, very angry group of Protestant loyalists who started picketing the Holy Cross School. And the Holy Cross School is a Catholic primary school that just happens to be in the middle of an area uh, that has been, it's the Ardoin area of Belfast that became segregated. There was Ulster Protestants and Irish Catholics living in the area. And in the middle of the Protestant area was this Catholic primary school. Now, for many, many years, the parents of the little girls walked their children to school. There wasn't any, there wasn't any problem at all. But then in September of 2001, um, the loyalist protesters tried to stop the school children and their parents from walking to school through the area. There was hundreds of riot police out every day. The British soldiers were out on the street. They had to escort the children and their parents through the protests. And, you know, the protesters were shouting sectarian abuse. They threw stones, bricks, fireworks, urine filled balloons at the school children. And, you know, the scenes of the frightened Catholic schoolgirls running the gauntlet of uh, abuse as they walked to school. It captured the world headlines and I have to say when I was watching the, the, the faces of the little children yesterday trying to getting off that bus and trying to walk in to the hotel, that's what came to mind was the Holy Cross School in Belfast and we are better 
than that. We, we really uh, are. And that to me was some of the scenes we witnessed uh, in uh, Ross Grey. But it was to see the Irish children with their parents looking on at these little ones and their faces, you know, just absolutely filled with fear. To me, that was uh, heart- heartbreaking. And I just wonder, what did the Irish children learn from witnessing those scenes uh, uh, yesterday? Anyway, there was a strategy meeting uh, staged outside Racket Hall last night. Um, and then the protesters, they had fires uh, lit on either side of the hotel's main entrance. And despite what was a free cold night last night. It's been reported today that about 20 protesters remained outside the gates of the hotel overnight. Now there's one taxi driver is quoted in the paper today. He's a Ross Gray man, uh, Justin Phelan. And he was pointing out, look, he said the protesters that are here from Ross Gray, he said they're not racist, they're not anti-asylum. But he's just making the point that enough is enough for Ross Gray. He says he was a local worker and a father and he felt that the North Tipperary community has been ignored by the government. He said, I don't want this to happen again in reference to what they witnessed yesterday morning. He said there had been a peaceful protest. We want our rights as citizens and taxpayers to be respected. He claimed that several protesters, including a woman, were knocked to the ground during the confrontation with the Gardaí. He says that losing the 40-bedded hotel to asylum seeker accommodation was a body blow for Ross Gray and it now means means that the nearest hotel is 25 kilometres away. He says we want what is best for our town and our community. This place has been starved of resources. Now various local uh, TDs have been quoted including the Tipperary TD uh, Jackie Cal. He's appealing for calm. He says he's going to meet with the Integration Minister Roderick O'Gorman today to discuss extra resources that are needed not just for Ross Gray but indeed for the county of Tipperary. Now, Jackie Cal, of course, is a Fianna Fáil politician. He says his understanding that further groups of asylum seekers will be brought in at a future date. He said it's been well documented that Ross Gray already has a lot of asylum seekers, already has a lot of Ukrainian refugees. And he says one of the biggest issues is that Racket Hall Hotel is the only hotel in the town and there will be no room now for functions or for events. And then he said, you add on top of that, there's not enough Gardaí, there's a shortage of GP spaces, there's a shortage of school spaces. They said we need extra resources and he says the minister now will have to step up to the plate. But for me, the real, real worry was to hear Deputy Jack, Jackie Cal say he was warned by one individual last week that the hotel would be targeted for an arson attack. Now, he, he did report it to the Ross Grey Gardaí. He said, I would hope and pray that there won't be an arson attack on uh, uh, Racket Hall Hotel. And please, we now have women and um, uh, very, very young children inside in that hotel. And Matthew McGrath, of course, he's the, the Tipperary Independent TD. He said the actions of the government and the manner in which the first group of asylum seekers were brought to Ross Grey facility, he says that was worrying. He also argued that there was no need for the guard, the public order unit to have been deployed. He said such a show of strength is unhelpful and it just is raising tensions. He's also appealed for calm and for people to respect property because he said, look, a burnt building is no good to anyone. And and no, um, uh, Deputy Matthew McGrath, it's not particularly when you have 
with your families living inside in that building. 0818103103. Some of your thoughts uh, in on this. John O'Donovan from the city was disturbed at the scenes in Mosgray yesterday. He felt that they, the powers that be, the Gardaí, were looking for confrontation. He says there was no need for the public order unit to turn up in Mosgray. He said the government needs to speak up and let people know what's happening as now it's becoming the government versus rural Ireland. And it seems like the government... just don't care and they seem to be doing whatever they like. And Michael uh, says, truly disturbing and saddening to watch with horror on our TV screens the carry on outside uh, Racket Hall Hotel in Rossgray and indeed in other places. Do these protesters have any conscience? Do they have any heart? Do they take pleasure in driving further fear into little trembling children who are running for their lives from war riddled countries? Memories that will have long lasting consequences that some perhaps will never ever get over. The consequences of these protesters actions will spell disaster into the future for this country. It was very disturbing to hear some of the rhetoric coming from elected representatives. Uh, My God, you would question their integrity. May God forgive their actions. Thanking you. And that's from uh, Michael by WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Jobs. A manager is wanted for a tool hire shop in the Domanway area. Call Vincent at 086-832-8570. General Operative is wanted for construction work in the Cork area. Now travel will be provided. Call 083 083- 8438445. General operatives wanted for a busy wood packaging division in a factory in the Bandon area. CVs please to Jobs Ireland 2024 at gmail.com. And the Donkey Sanctuary in Lascarrel. They've got vacancies for farm worker grooms. Please apply through their website, which is thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, spiralling costs have become unsustainable for hospitality businesses. That's according to one Cork restaurant owner who's closing the doors next month. It's the White Rabbit Bar and Barbecue on McCurtain. Street and sadly it's become the fourth city centre restaurant to close in the past eight days. The Tung Sing, uh, Pical and Nash 19 all announcing closure notices. Now the president of the Cork Business Association, uh, Kevin Hurley, he said the government needs to change policy and Dave O'Brien is the finance spokesperson of the Cork Business Association and Dave O'Brien joins me this morning. Good morning to you Dave. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, while it's the hospitality sector that is really under the spotlight at the moment because we're hearing of so many uh, closures, but are you, as, as a business association, hearing about a lot of other businesses that are really struggling at the moment? We are, Patricia. Um, it is in the main hospitality that, that we're seeing for, for the last number of weeks. Um, but there are other small businesses that are under uh, the, the, the same types of pressure. Um, why we're seeing hospitality is is because of the, the costs um, that they have to pay in order to keep their doors open. And when you know you and me go for a burger, we're only willing to pay so much. 
uh, and therefore that's why you're, that's why we're seeing at the moment those hospitalities businesses uh, go under, which is a which which is a shame. It's the cost of doing business has just continued to go up and up and up. It there there, there, there has been no stopping it since since COVID. Uh, and since uh, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, um, the costs have spiralled. We've seen inflation, uh, energy costs have gone up um, and um, wage costs have, have gone up. So it's, it's never ending. And, and these businesses are, are, are looking at this and they're seeing no way out of it. And at the moment, for, for certain businesses, there, there, there is no way out of it. I was reading um, the business consultants, PricewaterhouseCooper. They say as many as a thousand small firms could go to the wall. Now, one thing they cite is the looming deadline uh, to pay off their warehouse taxed debt that was accumulated uh, during uh, COVID. Um, do businesses need to engage with revenue about that? They do. Um and revenue have have had a campaign campaign trying to get businesses to engage, um, and some have and some haven't. Um, today we've we've seen comments from uh, the Tanish and Michal Martin, which suggest that they may review um, the the one May deadline for for making these payments. Um, whether that happens or not, I don't know. We as an organisation would be campaigning for for uh, another twelve month grace period, uh, interest free. Um, to allow uh, businesses get over this 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 hump, um, and uh, whether whether the government uh, agrees to that or not, we'll have to see. But at the moment, what's happening is when when you 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 mentioned those four businesses that have closed down, and many more will, will do so as well. Um, the revenue and the government are not getting any of this debt warehousing. You know, zero is being paid because the company has gone into liquidation. So. Um, the, you would have thought the, the better answer to this was delay the payments um, and over time uh, there, 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 there may be a situation where the, the, the revenue of the government get actually more money uh, because of this delay. But at the moment, if they continue with the one May deadline, then more companies will go into liquidation and the government won't receive any of that debt warehousing. Yeah, it'd be a very false economy uh, for them. And certainly there was very positive utterings coming from the Thornish, the Micheál Martin yesterday. Now, of course, we've recently seen an increase in labour costs with the minimum wage going up. There's additional sick pay. Now, while that's all very welcomed for uh, workers, particularly workers on the lower pay grade, some of that can be the final straw, can't it, for some businesses? It can't. Sorry, it can, yeah. And, And it's, Look, it's a difficult one um, because um, people, you know, people are entitled to be to be on a, a living wage. Um, but but those jobs tend to be in 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 the hospitality sector, uh, potentially are in retail. Um, and those are the small businesses that are that are that are really struggling. Um, and I don't know what the what the solution is to this on the minimum wage, um, but it is it is a real uh, issue for for small businesses, um, and the the current minimum wage, um, you know, there's the potential for that to to increase over the next number of years. And the government need to come out and outline what their plan is with regard to that. Um, and businesses need to be made aware of it because if it is continuing to increase, then unfortunately, the small businesses won't be able to cope with it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, I, I know Micheál Martin was uh, talking about the €250 million uh, euro allocation made at the cost of living package that was accompanied mm. in the, the budget uh, for businesses. And that's there yep. for, for businesses. Are, are many businesses taking that up? It's, it's, it's a cost of doing business package. Um, and unfortunately, while it reads great, um, it's, it's, it, it doesn't look like it's going to have any, much bearing. So it's a, it's a package um, that uh, you have to be paying um, rates to qualify um, and you get a maximum of, of 5K once-off payment. Now, while that's a lot of, of money for certain businesses, for businesses that are on the verge of staying opening or closing, they receive 5K in today. It's going to go out the door tomorrow paying for costs. Um, so it's not going to be it, it's not going to be anywhere near the difference between staying opening, uh, staying open and, and, and closing. So unfortunately, while it sounds good, it, it, it doesn't do what it's meant to do. Yeah, and certainly some of when we're just back at the hospitality uh, sector, a number of uh, restaurants that have closed in recent uh, weeks and months have cited the VAT rate when they when they mm. reinstated the nine percent uh, VAT rate back up to to twelve and a half. Can you see any move on that? Uh, the Tonisher came out today saying no to that, mm. um, but. Look, we've campaigned for that, uh, you know, for, for, for a number of years in the CBA. Um, and uh, last uh, October, I think it was, uh, it, it went back up to 13.5%. It, you know, and we warned the government about this, that it would have an effect. And it, and it has, it's come to light now. Um, so we will be campaigning to try and get that down uh, for, for, for food-related businesses. Um, whether it will happen or not, I don't know. The government seem to be slow um, and seem really do not want to do that. Um, but at some point, they're going to have to do something to keep businesses open. And that would appear to be one that, you know, has been done before and can be easily 
done again. Yeah, and I wonder, is there some way that they can divide the hospitality sector between, say, your larger hotels and your smaller coffee shops and your smaller restaurants? Because I know Micheál Martin, when he was asked about the VAT rate uh, yesterday, you know, was making the point that when, when they did bring it down, uh, a lot of the hotels didn't bring their prices down. But I think it's always... Mm. It seems very unfair to compare a small restaurant here in Cork City or County or a little coffee shop to compare that with the larger hotel chain and say, well, that hotel chain put up their prices when the VAT was reduced. It just doesn't seem fair. It, it doesn't. No, look, I, I, I don't know whether hotels did that or not or whether it was just it was just out there in the media. Um, either way, they can. If the government wants to split uh, between you know large hotels uh, and, uh, and other uh, businesses, they can. Um, so it's not a case that they just you know they can't do it for mechanical reasons or anything. They can do it if they want to do it. But there's obviously uh, reasons there that they don't want to reduce the VAT rate across the board. Um, and I suspect it's because you know if they do it for one sector, then is it is it unfair in other sectors that don't get that reduction in VAT rate? Um, so. To be, you know, to be fair to the government, they're trying. They're trying to be fair to everyone, but I think now is the time for, especially for the hospitality sector, that they have to act, and therefore I think now is the time that they need to go back to that nine percent VAT rate. Okay, is it going to be a difficult year ahead? Do you think, Dave? For yes. many, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, uh, undoubtedly. Um, no, look, what I would say to to businesses, you need to engage with the revenue uh, for debt warehousing. You need to engage with your with your with your bank. If you have uh, if you have loans, um, while you know people who are on the verge of closing kind of try and stay away from banks, uh, you know they, they they may be afraid to deal with them. They shouldn't. They should contact them. There's nothing to lose. Um, so I think that should be that should be done. And then they should review whether or not there's other methods, um, uh, other rescue packages that would be available, bar liquidation. Uh, there's a there's a, a SCARP package, which is a, a small company rescue uh, uh, program that is available for, for companies. And what they can do there is they can resize their business, uh, get rid of some of the debt, um, which would get rid of some of the revenue debt as well, and then still continue on. But, but you know, businesses have to engage with their advisors uh, and with their, with their creditors for, for that to happen. And sometimes when businesses are in, you know, they're in real trouble. It's very hard to, to see any light. Um, and uh, unfortunately, then, you know, the, the, the thing that happens is that they just close down. Very stressful time, isn't it, for business oh, owners? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Very yeah, difficult. And it's, it's just so sad to see businesses that have been there for many, many years uh, as mm. well. And if it's been a family run business, it's utterly heartbreaking. Listen, Dave, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Okay, thanks. Uh, good morning to you. That is Dave O'Brien. He is the finance spokesperson for the Cork uh, Business uh, Association. It does look like uh, 2024, I think, is going to be a tricky year, particularly for some of the very small and medium businesses. All the more reason, folks, please try and support those independent shops and businesses in your area. Uh, somebody says, Patricia, I mentioned the minimum wage. The minimum wage has gone up uh, since the start of this year, and that is having a knock on effect for small businesses. Somebody says, I know it's hard to run a business but at the end of the day staff are entitled to a decent wage which for years they weren't being paid the minimum wage in my opinion even at the new rate is still a very very poor yeah and I think everybody accepts that workers do need to be uh, looked after but unfortunately if a business is making a very very small profit margin putting up the minimum wage could just be the tipping point between that business 
being open and that business closing. 0818 And by the way, I can just see some calls and comments coming in on Ross Gray and what happened in Ross Gray and a point actually that I meant to make uh, when I was talking about the uh, racket Hall Hotel in Ross Grey. Somebody says, there's never any mention of the owners of any of these hotels. With all the places closing, maybe it's the only way to save their businesses. I was thinking the very same thing when I heard about Racket Hall Hotel because the fact that it is the only hotel in Ross Grey Town. And I was wondering, is it a case that it was coming because we're seeing so many small businesses like that just not able to make money? Was it a case that the owners were looking at either closing the front doors and all of the staff then losing their job? And did they then decide, well, let's let's move an alternative road until we get over this cost of living uh, crisis? It could be, I haven't heard anything from the owners of the hotel. I don't know who the owners of the hotel are, but it could very much be the case that it was either closed or use it for um, asylum uh, seekers. 0818103103 and just um, some of your t- WhatsApps. There's a lot of them coming, a lot of them are too long. I need to read uh, through some of them first. Morris says, Patricia, uh, did you see the Pat Short on his page? He had to cancel his gig in the Racket Hall Hotel in Ross Grey. He is a hard-working Irish person trying to get on. It's a disgrace that he can't now go to work. Actually, when I was looking at some of the television coverage from Racket Hall Hotel and some of the online uh, commentary video footage that went up on social media, I did notice there was a huge big poster out the front of the hotel for Pat and Faye Short, Pat and his daughter, who've joined us in studio to talk about that very, very funny show. So I said, oh my goodness, they must have been, I thought maybe the gig had already happened, but it turns out it was due to happen it had to be cancelled now because obviously the hotel uh, is no longer operating as a hotel. And somebody else is wondering what is going to happen to weddings. Surely there was a weddings booked at Racket Hall Hotel for this summer. I haven't heard, but if there was wedding books, I'm booked. I'm assuming brides, uh, bride and grooms are going to be getting phone calls that they won't really want to get. Thomas, I will come back to your calls and comments, but I want to move to a completely different topic now because the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary are planning another chicken rescue at the end of the month. So the call once again goes out uh, to families here in Cork who would consider giving a forever home to one of these little birds. Susan Anderson is co-founder of the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary. And I'm delighted to say that uh, Susan joins me this morning. Good morning to Susan. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, just just go back a little bit. How long have you been doing this, rescuing and rehoming chickens? Oh gosh, longer than I care to admit. But uh, chickens specifically, I think the last 12 years. 12. Um, yeah. <laughs> so have you any <laughs> have you any idea on the number you've rescued? Do you keep a head count? Oh, thousands at this stage. Uh, somebody does keep a count, all right. right. But probably, well, I'd say over 50,000 at this stage over the 12 years. Yeah, easily. That's incredible. Now, what condition do, do some of them arrive to you in? Um, well, they can be a bit shook because they've they've only really known a hatchery and then they're facility whether whether that be a cage or a shed or whatever so they can be a little bit shook and a bit bit featherless at times but they only really need a few weeks of of tlc and warmth and being kind of a bit of extra minding and then they will turn into normal hens in a few weeks and they'll 
behave exactly the same and be absolutely delighted with their second chance. And when, when you say featherless, Susan, I've seen some of the photographs. God help mm. them. Some of them are completely bald. Yeah, some of them are. There's no doubt. Um, there'll be a few sensitive little souls who probably never got enough access to food or whatever. They would be bullied and whatever in the in their facility. But um, even those little girls generally turn out to be the strongest, believe it or not. They um, they do need a bit of extra warmth and TLC and minding and bedding and food for the first few weeks. But then they will, um, they generally come round. Okay. okay. Where, where do you get, <laughs> where, where do you get the chickens from? Um, it's very, various different farmers who uh, don't like to see their hens going to be slaughtered at just over a year old. So they will give us a call and we will put out the call then and see how many homes we can get and we save as many or all if we can. And when you get a call, how many would the farmer be asking you to take? Gosh, it varies really. It could be 1,200, it could be 800. It, it, re- it really depends. <clears throat> and then we have a smaller number, I think, coming out next month. Um, I think of 175. So it just depends. This time it's it's probably the 800 mark. So, so when when they're in the in the hatchery, they're generally there. Is it about a year, year and a half? They're they're in there for. Yeah, they the hatchery. They'd be there till about sixteen weeks, and then they're put into whatever egg facility that they're going into, and then they would be there for just under or just over a year. So they would literally they'd be coming into their first molt or coming out of their first molt when the farmer rings us. So um, they'd be just over a year old, a year and a couple of months maybe. And they're of no use to the farmer anymore from an egg point of view? Um, it's really the production output. So obviously when they go in at a uh, point of lay, they'd be 100% more or less uh, out production output. And then when they go into their second year of laying, their um, egg production would drop by about 10%, which to you or I would be six eggs a week instead of seven. But obviously if the farmer is paying you know, a certain amount for feed. He doesn't want the second year for the production rate to go down by 10%. So they cull the existing hens and put in new point to lay pretty much yearly. God, that's just a commodity. Sad, isn't it? Yeah, sad. And when when they cull, I mean, you can't rescue all of them. What happens? We can't. What happens to the culled ones? They, they um, end up on I'm someone's table. I'm not really sure. That, that's kind of hard to determine, but I think... They may go to the zoo. They may go, go into the animal food chain. They may, I, I kind of have a slight suspicion that they might go into the, you know, the cheap um, chicken stock cubes or chicken soup you might find in. But they, know, won't, they, won't end up, they won't end up if you're in a supermarket buying, isn't the roast, isn't the chickens that you're seeing in the supermarkets? No, no, no. no they they're completely different. Entirely. Yeah, they're broiler hens, but they, they have an equally sad life, really. They only live for about 40 days, I think. And then they're called and they're definitely kept in confinement unless you buy free range chicken, which I don't know. He'd like to hope it's free range, but who knows? So what, what do you ask? <laughs> I, I, I'm vegetarian, so I'm, it's a time like this. I'm, I'm glad I'm vegetarian. Um, yeah. what, what do you ask of people willing to adopt um, a chicken, Susan? Um, well, we would ask them firstly to go to our Facebook page. We have all the areas there. Um, detailed on the hen rescue post and if they would private message us to, if they can offer a home um, to, to a hen or two and what they would need is a nice warm oh the dogs are off is that the postman? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no God only knows they bark for no reason a lot okay. of um, 
and I do have 17 rescue dogs living in my kitchen with me at present. So it's uh, as you do, as you do, as you do. (laughs) Um, So sorry. So, yeah, so people can go onto your Facebook page. And uh, when you say a hen or two, do they like company? Would it be better to take more? they, They are. They are flock animals. Now, okay. they do have likes and dislikes. You know, they sometimes they love each other. Sometimes they don't like a particular hen or whatever. They do have little personalities um, and likes and dislikes, believe it or not. And uh, we would ask them to go to our Facebook page and have a look at all the areas on the the main hen rescue post. And I know we're in Cork on Saturday, the 27th of January. We're coming to Cork, Kilkenny, Formoy, Waterford, Cattle, Dungarvan and Portleach. Well done. And uh, they so they can pick an area that maybe might suit them. And then if they go in and private message um, to offer a home and then what they will need is a a good, a nice, dry, draft proof, warm uh, coop, shed, corner of the garage and a, an outside area for them to potter around in. And these these chickens will produce wonderful, wonderful free range eggs oh, for you. Absolutely. Cruelty free. And you know exactly what's going into the egg because you're feeding the hens. So, for instance, if you put garlic in the water, the, after a little bit of time, the eggs will taste a bit garlicky. Yeah. So it just shows you like if, if something not so good is fed to the chicken, you know, it will still go. Part of it will go into the egg. So it's, um, you, you know, exactly what's going into the eggs. And there's no comparison really to shop bought eggs, no matter where they come from. And Susan, do, do chickens come with their own little personalities? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they sure do. Yeah. <laughs> I have a group who wait, who wait, keep an eye on the front door all day and another group that keep an eye on the back door all day. Um, they know I'll be out at some point with treats and things. So they watch me. And if I don't come out, they'll pop up in the windowsill and peck the window looking for me. Say, where, where are you? Where are you? Yeah, and, absolutely. And are, and are they easy to look after? Very easy, really. And they're ideal for, for maybe elderly people who couldn't have a dog in case it would jump up and knock them down because... You know, hens are just, they're, they're, they'll potter around the garden and they won't, you know, they're very, very easy to care for. And especially children, children adore them too, needless to say, because uh, I do remember many, many moons ago with my grandmother's uh, when we went out to visit, she had hens mm. and the joy of going out of a morning and going up and finding an egg or two was just, so it's a, it's definitely a, a, a they're suitable for everybody, really. They're very yeah, easy to yeah. They're, yeah. They're quite, yeah, and I think a lot of people will have memories of that, of, of, yeah. of visiting, visiting Granny and picking up the warm egg and something yes. so exciting about it. It okay. is, it so is. So <laughs> your, your Facebook page is The Little Hill Animal Rescue. People can find you very easily on Facebook. Absolutely. Okay. Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary. And Sanctuary. And go, go through there. And please, uh, to people, you know, think about it. It would be a lovely, lovely thing to do. I know we have many repeat people here in Cork uh, who go back yeah. and, and take, take more chickens, which is fantastic. But we're particularly reaching out for new families if you'd like to take on uh, a chicken. Listen, Susan, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And, uh, and good luck Good luck with you. your work. You do great work. Listen, thanks for that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for your help. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Take Bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Susan Anderson. Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary. They do incredible work, but I just I love the work that they do with the, the chickens. Would you like to adopt a chicken? Uh, why not? And you'll have wonderful free range eggs. I'm still getting a lot of commentary on it. And this is uh, Porky Queef, said to be renamed uh, with uh, Super Value taking on the naming rights. Uh, according to the Irish Independent, it's for an initial five years that's worth 1.5 million. But I was reading other 
uh, place. I think the examiner was saying it's a three year uh, contract for one million. So the, the devil is in the detail. But we're going to have to wait until tonight because it'll have to be ratified tonight at a Cork County Board meeting. Connor in Glamour said people need to realise everything today is commercial. Look around you. Nearly every stadium in the United Kingdom is named after a commercial entity it started in America and now it's coming here to Ireland. Rugby has already gone down that route. Soccer has been doing it for many years. Now it's the turn of the GAA. Uh, Cork, though, will be the first, uh, according to uh, Conor and Glanmire, to totally remove the original name from the stadium. And I think that's what's affecting uh, people and making people upset. Liam said, people will always refer to it as Porky Cueve, but Cork GAA needs the money. So Liam would say, take the money and run, uh, guys. Uh, but again, it's the it's Cork who are first out of the blocks with this. No other county have, have has ditched the stadium name completely. Well, I think what the county board are saying is they are leaving the pork. It's Super Value Park, as in the Irish spelling of it, is what will be in uh, place. So I suppose that's a nod to Porky Cueve. I don't know. Uh, John says anyone can call Porky Cueve anything they like, but the rem- the name will always remain Porky Cueve. Other stadiums have had their names uh, changed before. And they'll always stay with the original ones. He, By the way, he doesn't agree with changing it to Super Value Park. Uh, Lisa says, how many All-Irelands and Munster Championship tickets will Super Value get as part of this sponsorship? There's still only the same amount of tickets available. So will the Super Value allocation be at the expense of the ordinary public supporters? I haven't heard anything. I'm a will, and I don't know whether we'll get the detail of the sponsorship deal. I don't know if part of that is extra tickets to Super Value or not. Lisa is assuming it is. Someone else says, Patricia, do, I, don't, I don't agree with the renaming of the, sta- the stadium. Yes, I understand that they have to have corporate sponsors, but in the long term, they will do what they want to do. I, it feels to me like it's a bit of a dictatorship. Well, it has to be ratified by all the county board, all the delegates will have to ratify it this evening. Anyway, this texture says... There may be one nice little cliche into the future. Somebody may want to leave money in a will to the GAA and they may get the identity wrong. For example, Super Value Park, if you shorten it, it's SVP Cork. It might be a windfall for the charity. Site of St Vincent de Paul. Somebody might get it wrong in their will. Okay, uh, John says, Patricia, what are the Cork County? Why are the Cork County Board hiding? Why is the meeting gone behind closed doors? What are they doing with all the money that they get for the matches and the county board draws? Why do they need more money through corporate sponsorship? Well, they need it because of the debt that is hanging over their heads. 30 million euro plus is the debt for the revamp of Porky Cueve. Why have they decided to go behind closed doors? I I don't really know, but it's for the first time ever uh, the Cork County Board indicated to the media. Now, they just indicated last week that its presence would no longer be appropriate at a county board meeting. They reckon their absence will allow for more open and transparent debate. So they're of the view that they haven't had open and transparent debate because there would, up to this, there had been media in attendance and media would be reporting on what was happening at the county board meeting. So last week, the media were told, uh, you're not needed. It's going to be done behind closed doors. That isn't sitting well with everybody uh, either. Quick question on the GAA, says PJ in Bantam. Are they ever going to have all the money that they need? We all pay dearly at community level to be involved in our local GAA clubs. The government always delight 
in the funds that they give to the GAA. Yet, they never seem to have enough money to pay all the bills. Maybe the top men need to tighten their belts first and show support for all of our younger stars. And that's for P- from PJ in Bandon. But I go back to the issue we have with, we have this wonderful brand new, newly refurbished Porky Creeve, I think, which everybody, you know, says is is fantastic. But that comes with a very hefty debt, 30 million plus. So they have to make money, I suppose, to pay off that uh, debt. Someone else says, it's an unbelievable joke altogether. This is from Pat. The GAA, according to Pat, is on a downward spiral. And also, Pat says, bring back the September date for the All-Irelands. Would people like this, the All-Irelands to be back in September? Never feels the same. I suppose we'll eventually get used to it, but it's come September, it always feels weird that the All-Irelands have already been uh, won or lost, depending on what county uh, you're in. Hi, Patricia. The GAA are a disgrace. What a snub to the family of the person who Porky Cueve was named after. Why is everything being done behind closed doors. Never again will I support the GAA if this renaming goes ahead, says uh, a texter. And I think I heard on the news uh, at 12, I, I know I read out a tweet that Owen O'Finn posted, who is the grandson of of Padraig O'Queeve. And Padraig O'Queeve is who Porky Queeve is named uh, after. And uh, he's quite upset by it. And I'm sure I heard on the news that he found out through the media that the, the family of Padraig O'Queeve, who fought the War of Independence, led the GAA for decades, uh, fought for a pitch in every parish, doubling clubs and bringing the All-Ireland final to New York. None of the family seemingly were told that there was going to be a renaming of Porky Queeve. So obviously from the family's point of view, <clears throat> they are very, very upset about that. 0818. One oh three, one oh three. Some further commentary in on what has happened in Ross Grey and the protests that are continuing there, and the scenes that were witnessed yesterday morning when a the first group of. Asylum seekers, men, women and very, very small children were brought into the property, 17 in uh, total. And there was what some people described as a baying mob, but the Gardaí and uh, had to get involved and they had to form a human chain in order to maintain safety and to bring in these mums and dads and their children and bring them into the hotel and it's really not nice scenes at all. Jaron Charles says, with regards to Racket Hall Hotel in Ross Grey, it wasn't the government or the local people that closed the hotel, it's the owners wanting to profit. The government didn't tell them to close, says Jaron Charles. And I think there is a big, I'd love the owners of the hotel to come out and explain their rationale behind what was a, appeared to be a functioning hotel. Seemingly staff were only called in the night before they closed to be told it was being closed as a hotel and changed into an iPass centre. We know the Pat Shortney's daughter Faye had a booking. They've had to cancel their booking. We don't know if there's weddings booked for the summer or not. Now, that's not to say that the hotel wasn't very close to closing because it wasn't making profits. We were only this morning talking about the number of hospitality sector businesses that have had to close down. It could have been one of those hotels that were due to close down and that the owner, owners, I don't know who owned the hotel, decided, well, let's do something to keep the staff employed. I don't know. But yes, it certainly was the owners who made the decision. Hi, Patricia. While the government uh, allows the confusion of genuine asylum seekers with illegal immigration and economic migrants. These huge numbers of people in the asylum system will simply continue. 
there are different categories and if we had a proper system, the burden on the state would certainly ease. The government have admitted that 76% of those coming into the country are not registering at any port or airport. So this country is seen to have open borders. The government must manage this issue better before the EU and the UK focus on our serious shortcomings and kick us into taking action. We must treat asylum seekers as such while offering work visas to those who want to work here. And then we must stop illegal immigration in the same way that we don't allow any other illegal behaviour. That's by WhatsApp, no name on that. Dick says, Patricia, in my humble opinion, the man currently in charge of Angarda Siakona, the gentleman from Northern Ireland, Drew Harris, will turn our guards into another version of the RUC and give them powers that the RUC had in the North, i.e. give them the powers to lash out with no consequences. Uh, Dick wasn't happy with what he saw uh, yesterday from the members of Angarda Siakona in Ross Grey and that worries him. And then someone else says, Patricia, I can't believe the way human beings are being treated in Ross Grey. Fifty years ago, the people of Ireland were sharing everything they had with their neighbours or indeed anyone in need. God pity those poor children and the example they are getting. No wonder there's so much anger in young people. It's probably the example that's set in their own homes for lots of them. Bandon has one hotel that has refugees there for a couple of years and nobody's ever complaining. Shame on Ross Gray. Actually, I didn't think of that. It's the only, the, the hotel in Bandon, is that, it was that Ukrainian refugees are, are in there, yeah. And But now that would be interesting to see from Bandon businesses. The people in Ross Gray say that if the only hotel closes, they say that it's going to be a body blow for uh, Ukraine, uh, for, for Ross Gray and that in particular, uh, they're saying that the business uh, community will suffer and the town, I don't know if it's as much of a tourist trade, but they're saying that the town would suffer. Did Bandon suffer when its only hotel started to house refugees? I don't know. 0818103103 Your thoughts and comments uh, welcomed. And Michael in Middleton just wants to pick up on Lotto when we spoke about the lottery earlier on. Michael says, I gave up doing the Lotto a number of years ago. I gave up doing it because I never won anything. Uh, The key there though is, uh, Michael and I have heard of people doing that, I don't know how much every week you spent on the Lotto but say, for example, you spent 10 euro a week on the lotto and some people do spend that and indeed more. If you do decide to give it up, you should get a jar or get a bank account or a post office book or go into the credit union and put the 10 euro away every week. And then at the end of the year, come come the whenever you start, say, say you start at the start of January, come up to Christmas, you'll have 520 euro. You can take that as a little bit of a win for yourself. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now we do have one cancellation and I'm assuming this is to do with the uh, weather and that's the Anam Cara uh, who support parents who lost a child. Their information meeting for tonight in Waterford has been postponed. The Mallow Field Club will have a lecture on Lord Castletown from 1848 to 1937. It'll be on tonight, 8 o'clock, Mallow Social Services Centre with admission €5. Uh, Euro. Now, Adam Cara will hold um, uh, their West Cork meeting in the Fernhill House Hotel in uh, Clonakilty. That starts at uh, 7.15. 
they welcome all bereaved parents regardless of the age of your child or the circumstances of the death. No registration. You can simply turn up at the Fern Hill House Hotel in Clonakilty. The Mallow Men's Shed, they meet every Tuesday, which means they meet today, and Wednesdays and Thursdays, 2 to 5 in the afternoon. They're at the rear of La Cayla Family Centre on Fair Street in Mallow. New members are welcome to go along and meet the Men's Shed group at any time. Bingo in Shambally Moor Community Centre is on tonight at uh, 8. Jackpot there, €3,300. And we do have a cancellation of the bingo in Bantier due to the weather forecast that has been cancelled. So no bingo in Bantier tonight. Now, if you or anyone you know need help with reading, writing, spelling or numeracy, please contact the Adult Learning Centre in Mallow Parish Centre on 022 Four two six four two four two six four two. They open Monday to Thursday from half nine to half one, and then Fridays they're open from nine a.m. to twelve. Court today on C one hundred three with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. Okay, some of your calls and uh, texts uh, coming in. Somebody says, uh, David says, Patricia, did you watch the program last night on the last priests in Ireland? And tonight is the last nuns in Ireland, uh, isn't it? There was a huge building featured, Clonliff College, unused, looks in good condition. Could that that be used to house homeless? Uh, people. Kind regards, uh, David. I've, I, it was on too late for me last night. I'm early to bed. So I have it taped. I'm going to watch it this afternoon. And I know the nuns one is on uh, tonight. So uh, we'll hopefully maybe chat about it tomorrow because I know a number of people uh, did actually uh, watch it. Uh, hi, Patricia. When we go to see a match in the Super Value Park, will we be able to do our shopping there as well? That's from um, Eddie from uh, Man. There's going to be so many jokes, isn't there, during the rounds like that. Actually, John Paul put up an, an Insta poll on Porky Creven. Should it be renamed uh, Super Value Park? No real surprise here. 9% of people said yes. It should be renamed uh, Super Value. 91% of you who took part in our Insta poll says absolutely uh, no way rename it Super Value uh, Park. Uh, Bingo is going ahead in Connor tonight. Thank you. One of the organisers there uh, was on to us. Thank you for that. Bill in Clonakilty says, if the government continues the way they are going, there won't be any tourism left in this country, as every hotel will be used up to house asylum seekers. Plus, we have restaurants closing down. A lot of this is down to lack of footfall as many tourists are not going out uh, as many of the places they used to stay in are closed uh, particularly the budget uh, hotels well that's not reflected in the numbers of tourists coming to this country uh, Bill now, we, we haven't had the end uh, figures for the second half of last year, but I know up to the summer, uh, the Central Statistics Office, they bring out the inbound tourism figures and they'll be doing the ones from uh, for the last six months. But certainly the first six months of this year were very, very positive and very, very high. And actually, when you listen to, sadly, when you listen to some of the, the businesses that have closed at the restaurants and the coffee shops, a number of them are saying they're really, really busy, but it's the cost of doing business. Yes. 
that is catching them. And if they try and put up the prices, we have, with the cost of living crisis, there's only so far that they can put their prices up to that people are going to be able to afford and spend. So there's a lot of other issues, but it's certainly you can't point that hotels are closing because there's a lack of tourist numbers. Now, maybe in some tourist areas uh, where hotels have closed, they certainly will be able to say that. But as a general rule of thumb, uh, you can't actually say it. Hi, Patricia. Dunmanway only has one hotel and it has a number of Ukrainian refugees staying there and they have been staying there for a long time. Never any problem at all. The hotel bar, the restaurant and the function rooms are all open to the public. Oh, that's interesting. So that's, yeah. So I wonder with Racket Hall, is that something that uh, is going to happen? That it's just the rooms are being used for the asylum seekers, even though I heard all of the staff were called in and told it wouldn't be functioning as a hotel that leads me to believe the hotel may have been uh, struggling. But good to hear that from Don Manway. Thank you for uh, that. And then on hospital, oh, this is to do with waste. And I think we, we touched on this uh, yesterday when we were talking about the amount of money that's spent on storing the PPE gear. And what really got to me was that 1.7 million every year has been used on storing obsolete PPE gear. Get rid of it if it's obsolete. And surely it could be used, I was saying, with third world countries very much welcome it. And I'd love to know what they mean by obsolete, obsolete uh, PPE gear, because I don't think a face mask or a gown can go out of date, can it? Even the alcohol, the, the gel, I mean, that's alcohol. I can't really go out of date either. So, yeah, I'm, I'm questioning why it's obsolete, but it, it, it just seemed like a waste. I know people were saying we need to, the HSE needs to be careful with the way they spend the money. Kathleen in Canturk says she thinks there's a lot of of waste when it comes to medical items that are given out for free by the HSE. You know, things like walking uh, frames, commodes, beds, etc. A lot of those could be could be washed and properly disinfected and be be used again. But often when you contact the HSE, they'll simply say to you to dump them. I know they tried to stop that a number of years ago and I think it was during the downturn they started taking back items. Things like crutches and that, I don't think they take them back uh, anymore. I think they've gone back to that old uh, way but it always does seem like an absolute and complete waste and I know there was a lot of charities were collecting crutches and walking frames and sending them out to third world countries and sending them out to charities abroad who were only too happy with them, particularly the ones that the HSC didn't want to take back but when we looked into it at one stage we were told that it was to do with health and safety uh, issues and they couldn't pass one on that had been used by one patient couldn't be passed on somewhere else. Doesn't make any sense, Kathleen. I'm with you on that. Thank you for your call. And here's a lovely, uh, just one final text that came in from a a listener uh, saying, Patricia, our EU partner Denmark has a new king. Did you see this at the weekend? The Queen abdicated uh, in favour of her son and she was another one of those queens that had been there for over 50 years. Anyway, so we have a new king in Denmark. It's King Denmark, who is a lovely person. Is there a name on this text, by the way? Oh, there isn't, unfortunately. Uh, King Denmark is a lovely person and I hope we will welcome him to Ireland for a state visit. When he was still Crown Prince Frederick, he met his future wife, Mary. Mary is Australian and Mary was competing with the Danish... He, he, he met Mary in Australia while he was competing with the Danish team. It was the Sydney Olympics. He chatted to her in a pub one evening and she hadn't a clue who he was. They hit it off immediately. Unfortunately, he was suddenly recalled to Denmark 
Denmark. It was for family reasons, but they stayed in contact with each other by email and phone, etc. Subsequently, Mary moved to Denmark to see if she could adjust to life there and she learned to speak Danish fluently. She also converted to the Lutheran Church. Later, their wedding in Copenhagen Cathedral was a beautiful representation of their love story. It can still be watched on YouTube and your heart would melt to see the tears in the crown prince's eyes as his bride approaches and walks up the aisle on the arm of her Scottish father. <laughs> Isn't that? Oh, that just sounds like a fairy tale. I, says, no, I wish you put your name on that on that uh, text. You've really painted a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, picture. And I know in Australia, they're very proud of the fact now that they have a queen, uh, Queen Mary, who is originally from Australia. I didn't know that she was of Scottish heritage as well, but it does seem like uh, a lovely love story. So we, we wish King Frederick and Queen Mary all the best as they rule in Denmark. Joe Heffernan joins us to warm us all up, hopefully. <laughs> good, good afternoon, Joe. God, it's, Hi, it's bitterly cold today, isn't it? It is unbelievable. The yeah. first sign I saw of temperatures very early this morning was minus six. Yeah, it was early on. You, you, you were up. Yeah. Ar- you were up early then for that. Yeah, it was. Well, I once I was up, <laughs> but I was conscious. Okay, okay, and it hasn't. I mean, I've, I've. It, it's barely gone. I think it's just gone to one degree now. It's been, it's been, that, it's yeah. been minus uh, all morning. Okay, yeah. now we're going to talk about uh, building resilience, and I think this is yeah. important at this time of the year because yes. I think after Christmas, you know. There's, there's the big build up to Christmas mm. and then there can be a flatness I mean I, I, I personally the worst month of the year for me is January I absolutely mm. hate January I can never wait to always glad when it's behind me and so I do think it's a time of the year when we should reflect on things and we could all do with building a bit of resilience particularly I think at this time of the year Absolutely Absolutely um, and the American Psychological Association had 10 um, uh, suggestions on ways to build uh, resilience because last week now we talked about laughter and laughter is great and we can be having a good time at times and we can be having a very poor time at times and um, when things aren't going our way when when there are problems uh, on the horizon or in the present um, we need to have some resilience we need to be able to cope and that's about it to cope. So, like, one of the things suggested would be to stay in touch with very good friends, um, people who are, what we'll say, on our side. Um, you know, make that old phone call, share with good friends, and um, uh that's uh, that's one of the uh, yeah, one of and the that key can be elements. yeah, and that good relationship can be with, as you say, it can be with family members, it can be with the spouse, it can be with the, yeah. a sibling, but it also can be with a very trusted friend. Exactly, uh, anyone who is that we know to be on our side, people who will listen, people who will empathise with our situation. Uh, that's what we need. Um, uh, we might be well aware that the other person or persons can solve our problem or problems, but at least um, uh, they would have an understanding ear. They That's listen. very yeah. important. They, they, they will listen to you without judgment, and we all exactly. we all need somebody like that uh, in we our do. lives. So it's keeping we that it's keeping that connection. So that's top of the list. Okay. Yeah. The, the next one is how we view things. Yes, to avoid seeing things 
um, as unbearable problems. Um, uh, it might be tough. It might be absolutely, you know, I wish this would be sorted. But um, not to see it as an unbearable problem, that it doesn't completely defeat me, um, uh, is very important to, to say. We'll come to it now um, a little bit down our, our, our list uh, today. But um, one of them would be to take decisive action in adverse situations. In other words, is there anything whatsoever that I can actually do that will help this situation? Now, that might bring us back up to number one that we mentioned. Lean, um, lean on somebody else to help. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and rather than, uh, you know, when you're faced with something that can be very stressful, don't catastrophize it. You often talk about, and we all know of people who catastrophize it and, you know, the, the, you know it's always bad. Yes. It's never going yes. to work out. You've got well, to, the, and the big word there would be unbearable. Yeah. Uh, try not to see a thing as unbearable because unbearable means it's defeating me. Whereas bearable means, well, um, I'm still standing and I might be able to do something about it. Now, on the other hand, if it's something that happened in the past, we have to accept that we cannot change the past. Okay. So acceptance there is important. Look, that happened. It was awful. I still um, have uh, deep, deep, deep feelings about it, but I understand that cannot be changed. So ruminating day after day about um, uh, conversations that weren't held, that could have been held, um, I would say this now, and the other person would say, that's a waste of time if, the, if uh, as they say, if that bus is gone. Yeah, yeah, you can't, so you can't change. The next thing then happened. would be to look forward, okay. to develop realistic goals and to move towards them. In other words, well, what can I do about now? And what can I do about um, the the future? Are there things that I can actually do? Um, uh, that might be, as I often say, it might be an email, it might be a phone call, it might be a visit, um, but um, uh, it might be something more uh, concrete. But is there something that I can do? Um, and if the answer is yes, well, then, to take decisive action. Yeah, and, say, and do okay. it. Yeah, don't be putting it always on the back burner. Yeah. Move forward with it. Absolutely. Um, for example, if it's a job that needs to be done, and if it's affordable, and if it would solve a problem, let's let's do it. Let's, let's at least begin... Um, uh, negotiations about getting it done. You know, I'm mm. I'm just um, throwing that out as an example of something that might be there. Um, uh, it 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 might be it might be as simple as painting the house in the spring. It might be A B C D. It might be much more important than that. It might be much more uh, life changing than that. But to um, to do something about it. And to and, take the step um, in the right direction. Yeah, 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 and and to look for um, to to see what is within us, maybe, um, you know, uh, to discover strengths that we have, 
to 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 say um uh I can I I can, I can do that much anyway um now I mightn't be guaranteed the outcome it mightn't all work out perfectly but I can give it a go and um I might get into something that I hadn't done before for example I might decide to do some volunteering you were talking about it with uh, Mandy the other day was, I was yeah. listening yeah um and, you know, that might be something that a person would do that they hadn't done. And who knows, it might open up other opportunities. Um, and friendships, as the, as you both said the other day on that program, can be developed from that. Yeah. So yeah. it's an antidote to loneliness as well. And it gets people out, out and about and, and meeting yeah. a whole new group of people that you'd never met uh, before. And that actually will help because it's number seven on the list is to develop self-confidence. To develop self-confidence, to, to say, A, I can stand what's going on. It won't put me down on the floor even though it's not easy. Um, so to become more of an I can person than I can't. Um, uh, I, I think there was lines in the song that seemed to be um, coming into my head about, what, what is it? Don't give up till it's over, is it? Could be. It's <laughs> something like that. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's it. Don't, that's a very good line. Don't give up till it's over. Yeah, yeah, you, you keep going one step uh, in front of uh, in front of the other. Yeah, in other words, to develop the magical hope, just to have hope. This could possibly get sorted. This could possibly work out. Uh, I can do something about this. Um, so that, that that absolutely helps. And then to keep a long term perspective and. Um, uh, to kind of see the the stressful event in in a whole life scenario that it doesn't take over totally, absolutely, and completely. That um, you know, uh, that there are other aspects to my life which aren't completely um, uh, buried as well uh, by this issue. Um, yeah, because I mean, we all can think back on something that maybe happened, you know, five, ten years ago in our lives. And at the time, it seemed like, oh, my God, this is just unbearable. I'm never going to be able to get through this. And we look back now and think, God, it was nothing, really. Yeah, yeah. Or at least, as the man says, we're still standing. Yeah, we survived. Still we standing. Survived. We survived. And then, uh, and, uh, you know, when it comes to resilience and building uh, resilience, I mean, the most resilient people that we know are the people who look after themselves. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm in a situation which is extremely stressful and uh, it's kind of, as it were, um, bordering on getting me down, well, am I eating healthily? You know, is my appetite okay? Am I sleeping okay? And if the answer to both of those is not really, well, then maybe I need to have a think about it. Maybe I need to have a talk about it. And if things are dire... And that um, that uh, something very personal. Um, well, then one can always make a phone call to someone on the uh, IACP um, uh, website and um, and talk to somebody in a professional capacity where um, where confidence um, is assured. Yeah, and get so get the help. Reach something. out. 
yeah, reach out and, and get the help. OK, listen, as always, um, a mine of information, Joe. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat uh, to you again next week. And just to say Happy New Year to the listeners, to yourself, JP, Bernie and all at C103. Many happy returns. Talk to you next uh, week. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. That is Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is 086-834-8145. 086-834-8145. As we've been talking all morning about the Cork County GAA board, as the delegates, delegates are likely to ratify the new naming arrangement for Porky Cueve at tonight's first meeting of the year. Our reporter, Stephen Fox, went out on the streets of Cork uh, today to get the thoughts of some of the Cork people. Absolutely disgraceful. Super Value Park, it sounds like a bit of a joke, really. I think Parky Creeve, like, oh, Parky Creeve, Super Value Park is like the parking area or something. They need the money, but I don't know if Parky Creeve has always been called that, and that'd be kind of a chance. I suppose most of them are doing it now, or putting a name to it, sponsorship or whatever, like, so I don't know, it probably makes sense. Horror, I don't like it at all. No, I'm not happy with it, no. Do you think they should keep it as is, or maybe is there a better name for it, or what do you think? Keep, keep it, it as it is, like, you know, it's, it's not broke, don't fix it type of thing, you know? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I think if it were to be rebranded, people would still call it Parky Cueve, out of habit. But Super Value Park, I just, it doesn't work. There's no class to it, unfortunately. <laughs> do you think that's going to be the case this time around as well? I think so, yeah, big time. Super Value Park. What next? We renamed the lead to Tesco River. It's disgrace. I was on the ticket about it on the way down to work this morning. Shocking. It should stay the same. History should stay the same. Do you think people will start calling it Super Value Park? Would it be like a Lansdowne Road kind of situation? No, or? I think people will still call it Parky Keeve and it'll just be kind of frowned upon to call it that, I think. You know? <laughs> Everything takes time. In, in like two, three years, it could just be normality then. I hate yeah. to use that word. <laughs> I think they should leave it out, is it? To yeah. be honest, I think it's a good name, but like, why would they change it after all the years? I think it'll still be Parky Keeve and of like it's strong because it's there for a long time to be honest yeah I think Thanks. they should keep it not a fan of the super value at all no what's wrong with Parker Creep mm. we all know it we all love it <laughs> keep it the way it is and it shouldn't be named after a big company like that do it after someone famous or someone that's done something for Cork do you know what I mean I think it's a bit ridiculous, like, yeah. I think Parky Creeve is a lovely name. It's an outrageous renaming, it's a complete rewriting of our history and an erasure of Cork culture. No one's going to call it Super Value Park. I actually only found out about it this morning, my mum was saying it to me and I was like, I don't understand it, it makes no sense to me, I don't think it's the right thing to do because it's always been Parky Creeve, that's what everyone knows it as. I don't know why you'd go and rename it now. I have no idea what the reason is. It's a funding deal. Okay. See, stupid, I think they should stay with Parky Creeve. I don't know why they would change it, but look, money is money. That's just it. What can you do? I think it should stay the same. Mm. I don't see the point in changing it, honestly. Why do they think they're changing it to? Super Value Park. That's awful. No, keep it the way it is. I think they're trying to change everything. Cop on. I think it's nice that we have something named in Irish because everywhere else is like the tree arena and... Yeah, exactly. Parky Cueve is... Full Irish, you know. Full Irish, As far yeah, as the exactly. sounds, but... Yeah. I think it's grand. Yeah. The way it is. Yeah. I don't think we need to change anything. I just prefer the name Parky Cueve. Everybody knows it is Parky Cueve. That's my opinion. There you go. That's the good people of Cork this morning. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. On to then, stay warm. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.